Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Yeah, look at those pretty faces on there on the logo. Thanks again to Brian Ward for that incredible video intro. Uh, it's just so much fun to see it done that way. It you know, feels very professional. feels like we're a real show because guess what? We are a real show. Uh, there you go. And we're excited to come back again. This is The Geek Buddies. Back for another week of a fun conversation, geeky conversation, and some ball-busting conversation, as is uh, the case when the three of us get together. I am John Roca. I'm a writer, producer, and host on uh, on the Outlaw Nation here uh, and numerous places. Uh, who's next? Uh, I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies, and I'm sad that we didn't get to do our usual intro today because apparently we're not doing it. <laughs> and this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on The Mindy Project, House, and my name is Earl. And we are the Geek Buddies! Hey! Okay, now I feel, I feel much better. Now I feel much better. Now I needed that. I need I need that once a week to make it through quarantine. So thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> no, it's my fault. I should have led with that. I apologize. I just am like looking again. We've got so much to talk about today, and I just want to kind of jump in all the topics. We're going to talk about that Venom 2 title. We're going to talk about some Scoob action. We're going to talk about some Fraggles for you uh, old school Fraggle lovers. And then our main topic today, because of Batman being pushed, Robert Pattinson's The Batman being pushed, we're going to jump in and have a big conversation about what our favorite Batman uh, is through the whole course of time, as you saw in the thumbnail, everybody's the, in the mix, uh, possibly for the conversation to be number one for each of us uh, uh, when we get to it. All right, uh, who wants to start this thing off? Who's starting this thing off? Is that me? Sure. Uh, sure. Or, okay, sure. Let's jump into it. That is uh, Venom Two. Venom Two. Uh, Sony just released uh, the title for their new uh, for the sequel to Venom, and it is going to be called Boom Venom. Let there be carnage. Uh, they also did a, uh, a funny little um, video for it where they use the score, boom, boom, which is kind of the score that they used in uh, the uh, Venom movie, that kind of overblown, big, uh, uh, dramatic beats that they did, uh, which kind of gave the film a little bit of weightiness, but also didn't lose the tongue-in-cheek aspect of the film that you get through uh, when you watch it. But this is interesting because a lot of people are upset online that it's not called Maximum Carnage because there are rumors we're going to get Shriek possibly in the movie. She may be broken out of prison like Carnage breaks her out of prison in Maximum Carnage. We are going to get Cletus Cassidy in this with Woody Harrelson. Uh, but I personally like the title because he, you know, Woody's like, they'll be Carnage. You know, he did that at the end of Venom. So I'm, it just makes all the sense in the world. Let there be Carnage. It's so grandiose. It's so dramatic. It's like a Shakespearean actor. Let there be Carnage. So to me, 
that fits the vibe of these symbiotes because these symbiotes are suffer from personality issues. That is self-worth, self-esteem issues. That's why they gravitate onto other people and take over their lives because they don't have any lives of their own. So why wouldn't they be overdramatic because they're insecure? So to me, I like the idea of Let There Be Carnage. I like the title. Gentlemen, please, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was a cool title as well. Um, and plus they announced that it's being bumped from October to June of mm-hmm. uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. That's how much time you need for there to be carnage. Um, you know, the first Venom film, I think we all had we, we all had our thought, our respective thoughts <laughs> about it. Um, the idea that Andy Serkis is coming in and, uh, to direct and also if the set picks are any uh, indication that uh, Woody Harrelson won't be wearing that curly uh, Party City redhead wig that he wore right. at the end of Venom. Um, but yeah, I think that's a cool title. And, you know, just Andy Serkis is a very, he's a very unique, unique talent. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see him take on this franchise that, that you know, did incredible business, yeah. um, really resonated with a lot of the movie going public, even though it didn't, maybe didn't resonate with everyone in the geek, in the geek mm-hmm. community. Right. Uh, it's still very exciting. I think that's a great title. Uh, Michael? I mean, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> can you can you expound on that, my friend? <laughs> I, uh, I I don't. <laughs> yes, yes. I there. Okay, you know how like when we talk about Batman versus Superman or Rise of Skywalker or even Man of Steel, Justice League, whatever, like I have a lot of opinions because those movies make me so angry. Right. (laughs) Venom is such a garbage movie that I don't even, I can't even get angry and I can't even get excited or not excited. Like the (laughs) fact that the fact that this movie is called Let There Be Carnage is like, cool. Yeah, I already knew he was in it. Fine. Like Andy Circus directing it makes me kind of I think we talked about this when that was announced. Like that makes me kind of a little bit more intrigued. But right. like my opinions of like obviously we will all go see this movie when it comes out. Like I'm not gonna be one of those like I'm a nerd. I mm-hmm. will go see these movies aside from those last couple Transformers movies. I think I will go into the theater to see any of these things just to have an opinion. Right. But I am so unenthused i could not care less i don't care i don't care that carnage is in it i don't care if shriek is in it i don't care which carnage story from the comics they're gonna follow it is such a garbage movie like the only thing i will say is the first movie is so bad that like they've got nowhere to go but up so true Bring well, it on! Does, doesn't be <laughs> <laughs> doesn't having doesn't having a uh, um, uh, Andy Circus uh, behind the wheel doesn't that give you a little bit of hope? Doesn't have Michelle Williams coming back give you a little bit of hope? Does does anything about people involved in the sequel give you a little bit of hope? I mean, Woody's been great over. We've been we've been in a Woody sense for the last few years that people no sure. one's talking about. Doesn't this excite you or no? Sure, but also like. Tom Hardy's an amazing actor, and in the last movie, he was eating a lobster in a lobster tank in a seafood restaurant. So, like, Michelle Williams is amazing, and in well, the last movie, so all, all I'm saying is, like, I think here, here, okay. My yeah. real answer is, I think that, yeah, when Sony made the first Venom movie, they tried their best, but as Sony has proven time and time again, when Marvel's not involved, they just mm-hmm. don't quite have what it takes to do these big franchise things. Right. I do think that they probably knew that movie wasn't great. And mm-hmm. I think they were just as surprised as anybody at how much money it made. So yeah. I do think that probably like the weekend after Venom came out and just like blew up at the box office, I mm-hmm. think they all sat in an office and said, guys, we're obviously making a sequel. Let's try and make sure this one doesn't suck. So I do think they are probably trying really hard to make sure that it doesn't suck. I right. also think that with the Morpheus trailer, we saw how they were kind of tying that into the bigger Spider-Verse a little bit with the Michael Keaton reveal and everything else. So maybe yes. with Venom 2, we're going to get a little... So I will say that my real answer is there's probably a lot of reasons that Sony is very invested in wanting to make this better. Right. But also the first Venom is so ridiculously horrible that it's going to take a while to get me like that first trailer is going to have to 
really, really blow me away to get me even at a base level of excitement. Wow. Right, Otherwise, Mike, one, be... Mike, one quick question. Did you like it? Let me be clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, before we lose the plot here, we you're right, Mikey. We are going to get Carnage versus Venom. That's going to be interesting to see. Are we going to see the Maximum Carnage storyline play out? There's obviously a bunch of Marvel superheroes that would have to be involved for that to play out. But will we get like Doppelganger? Will we get these other characters from Maximum Carnage that might slide in here? Uh, and are they giving themselves a little bit of an easy way out by not uh, full-on admitting these characters are going to be in there? So maybe they didn't call it Maximum Carnage because they're only going to pick out little pieces uh, of the Maximum Carnage storyline uh, that they may revisit down the road if the Sony MCU thing fully happens. Uh, so for now, they're just able to kind of manipulate the storyline, some of the story beats from Maximum Carnage uh, to fit whatever they want to tell in the sequel. Is that possible? Yeah, I mean, I also, I, I am very uh, dubious of the Spider-Verse and the Marvel Cinematic Universe ever fully colliding. Like right. I am, I... I think that I think that Marvel does what they do so well that they make it look easy and having all of these interwoven storylines like going in and out of each other and having yeah. this moment leading to this moment and this person also showing up in this movie like they do so well that they make it look easy but throwing a bunch of like crazy Spider-Man villains and their storylines and everything else in there like I think we will get Tom Holland sort of weaving in and out of some of these other anti-hero tales and I think yeah. that the Peter Parker universe, the Spider-Man part of the MCU will maybe come in and out of some of these movies that Sony has coming out to kind of make them feel like they're more in the Marvel universe. Right. But I don't think we're anywhere close to having the Avengers showing right. up in a movie with yeah. Venom and Carnage. Like, I don't, I just don't see that happening. So we'll see though. We'll see. I agree. It's thoroughly far away. One last thing I want to throw into this and, and Shannon, thanks for mentioning the move. That's what's happened. They're moving into the Batman slot that was there in June. So maybe they'll, uh, you know, have a better result. It's one month away from Spider-Man, the third Spider-Man from the MCU slash Sony partnership coming out and Morbius will have been around at that uh, as well. So this uh, thing, uh, Tom Hardy, of course, who's like trolling like a mofo on Instagram with these pictures he's putting up and taking down. He put this one up last night after the announcement. Boom, Tom Hardy. That is uh, Venom eating Spider-Man. So uh, he, he put that up there and then he quickly took it down after it got the attention he was looking for. So you're looking at this picture. Um, does this let that you think? What does that make you think that that? Uh, that they're going to gobble up Spider-Man at the box office or if Spider-Man might make an appearance because the rumors that Tom Holland was supposed to be in Venom. Uh, what do you think that means? Put that picture up again really quick. Yeah, okay. All right. Hold on. Did you say please? Hold on. I'll just put it please, up. Please, please, please. please put that. <laughs> that, that, picture, that picture looks like Venom is sneezing red wine to me. <laughs> That's... Like you, like it took me a minute. It, it took me a minute to even see the Spider-Man part of it. Like you opened it, and I was like, I was like, oh, okay, so Venom's the red wine guy. Good to know. Good to know. I like tomatoes. <laughs> it could be tomato sauce. <laughs> to go off of Mike's sneezing red wine theory, I mean, the fact that he smiled the whole time and it went out sideways. Uh, <laughs> I know. You so, know, what, maybe that's something one of us should try. Let's see. Like, is this is this even possible? <laughs> yeah, right. <clears throat> I mean, we'll see. I mean, what do you think, Shan? Do you think we might get uh, Tom Holland Spider Man uh, popping in for a few scenes or a scene? Do you think? I mean, I th I think it's definitely on the table. I mm. mean, Michael Keaton showing up in the Morbius trailer right. certainly certainly puts that out there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what sort of uh. uh ownership mar the mcu has over spider-man because my guess is that they probably don't necessarily want him to do it but ultimately it is sony's property yeah so right. i don't know i, I mean I, I don't know i also thought i also thought that a part of sony and disney sort of making up uh post far from home was that they were going to be a bit more lenient with tom holland and the peter parker spider-man universe sort of mixing which is why yeah. we got to see michael keaton in that trailer so i do I, I i think there's a chance of seeing some stuff like that like like tom holland kind of popping up would not shock me okay 
There you go. That's certainly possible. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I actually think it might be a better film than the first one. Uh, I, at least I hope so. But the title, <laughs> the, the title lets you know, lets you feel like this is going to be one of those films that keeps the vibe. The stakes are still going to be high, but the tongue is going to be firmly planted in its cheek. And we'll see how far they go with Cletus uh, Cassidy because, like, there's no way this can't be an. There's no way this is not an R-rated film, right? I mean, can, can you do Carnage and Venom and? Have it be PG-13 and make it work? I feel like you, it has to be R-rated, right? You don't think it'll be R-rated, Mike, or do you think it has no, to I think, be? No, I, no, I think, I think yeah. it should be. I think, right? I think yeah. it definitely, yeah. Like, you know, it's all the conversations post-Deadpool about R-rated superhero movies, non-R-rated superhero yeah. movies. Like, it really depends on the character, but Venom is definitely one where it's like, and Carnage is one where you're yeah. just like, yeah, you, you really kind of got to go for it. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right, what do we want to next? What do we got next? Well, as Roca posited a few weeks ago, Scoob is moving to video on demand. It, it is one of the films. <laughs> like, there he is, Scoob. Wow. <laughs> it is one of the films that was, was pulled from the release schedule by Warner Brothers. And following in the footsteps of Trolls World Tour, it is going to be released on premium video on demand on May 15th. You'll be able to yeah. rent it for a 48 hour period for, I, I believe $20 or buy it. I think for $25. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, wow. this, this trailer, it's interesting because Scooby-Doo has had a somewhat tempestuous <laughs> relationship with theatrical releases. I, I thought you said every- checkered past. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Scoob. Well, everyone was, I think everyone was so excited to get Scooby-Doo on the big screen just to see yeah. how they would do it. And the first one, was fine like it was all right i think matthew lillard and linda cardellini really came out uh you know great performances yeah the sure. other two yeah you know yeah. not for Freddy me and, well, you know and and then and then the sequel which i don't think i got all the way through i i didn't watch it in the theaters yeah. i think i watched it on video Oof, or on dvd um yeah so the fact that they're they're actually trying a a computer animated film they're adding in a lot of people, or a lot of characters from that Hanna-Barbera catalog, like yeah. Falcon. Um, yeah. I'm curious about it. I mean, I, I didn't have any desire to rent Trolls World Tour. I probably will rent Scoob, though. Gentlemen, mm-hmm. what do you think? Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm super excited. I mean, I've been excited about it. I think the trailer is really, really sweet. Like when you see like young Shaggy find young Scooby for the first time, like it's definitely I got the feels. And to your point, like the second that you really realize that the story involves Blue Falcon, Dynamut, Dick Dastardly, it, it kind of is like the Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe getting a kick, getting a kickoff. And like that made me more interested. Like it just seemed like it was a more interesting take on Scooby-Doo, just the way the trailer seems set up than the typical, like let's reintroduce them again and have them solve a mystery. Uh, It looked like there was some emotional stakes there. It looked like they were going to have a bigger story, probably like with Shaggy and Scoob, maybe stepping into the blue Falcon dino role or something like that. So yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to rent it. It was one that I was excited about that I definitely was going to check out in theaters. And uh, that will definitely be a rental while we're all chilling here at home. Cause I think that'll be a fun way to spend the afternoon. No, I mean, it's an interesting approach, right? You're doing essentially a prequel, right? Where, and I don't know if I've, we've seen many prequels. Of course, we've seen, I think we've seen episodes during the series of Scooby-Doo where they remember or they do the flashback thing where everything gets hazy and they remember being young the first time they met, that kind of stuff. So seeing it kind of brought to the big screen or, you know, on demand now, oh. unfortunately, uh, I I would, I'm ex- I kind of, I like it. I thought the trailer was really sweet as well. I went in with a bit of skepticism, but then again, this is not a live action Scooby-Doo. So it's not like they have a bad track record with the animated version. So I'm, I'm not surprised uh, that they're having a good response to it. Some of the cast, Will Forte is Shaggy Wahlberg of all people. Mark Wahlberg is Blue Falcon. Jason Isaacs is Dick Dastardly. Gina Rodriguez, shout out to my Latina sister. She is Velma. I love that. Zach Efron is Fred. Amanda Seafried is Daphne. Kiersey Clemens is Falcon Fury. Uh, pilot Dee Dee Sykes. And Ken Jong yep. is doing Dino Mutt. Tracy Morgan is doing Captain Caveman. Uh, Captain Caveman? Yeah, Captain I Caveman. Is- I'm so into this. I'm, I'm there. I'm there. I'm Captain there. Caveman. And uh, Frank Welker. <laughs> 
uh, uh, from Transformers fame, shout out, is the voice yep. of Scooby-Doo in this one. So a lot of great voices coming together. So I think they anticipated that this could have been a surprise hit for them in the summer. And now we're going to see what they, it does uh, on video. Because Trolls World, War Tour, World Tour, they released the numbers tentatively for now. 40 to $50 million over that opening weekend when it was released. So not great for an overall animated film. You want to get to the $100 million mark with kids and families, what have you, in the theater. But 40 to 50 at home is pretty damn good. So hopefully Scoob will do that as well because, I mean, it's a sweet film and we all could use a little sweetness uh, right now where everybody's going crazy in their lives. Um, all right, and let's move on to our last store and we'll see what happens and see the results. And you guys, maybe we'll do a mini review of Scoob. That would be kind of fun to do on the Geek Buddy. So yeah. uh, what, what's our next thing, Mikey? Uh, so, you know, as we've been talking about every week, uh, you know, entertainment in uh, during quarantine is a struggle for all the studios and they're all yeah. rushing to get stuff out. And Apple dropped something this week <clears throat> that was kind of a surprise. Uh, not a lot of fanfare and really exciting. Uh, they are dropping a new series of shorts uh, based around Jim Henson's property, Fraggle Rock, called Fraggle Rock uh, Rock On. Uh, so this is really, really cool. Uh, the entire concept, it's a bunch of like each short is like three to five minutes long. And in these shorts, uh, at least based on the first one that dropped this week, the Fraggles are dealing with also being stuck by themselves. And they have these <laughs> doozer tubes, uh, these doozer tubes that are kind of dropped off so that they can all communicate with each other. Right. And it's them sort of singing and communicating with each other during quarantine. So it was really kind of exciting, kind of like a total surprise. I had no idea it was coming. My friend, uh, our friend, Jessica Patty, uh, texted me freaking out about it because she's right. definitely a kid of the 80s and was very, very excited. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's super cute. Uh, and similarly, you know, with Sesame Street on HBO, they uh, a week or so ago had Elmo's Playdate where they did mm. all of the puppets kind of living in quarantine. And it kind of shows how where the Jim Henson company is kind of in a really great position as far as where we are right now is getting those puppets delivered to the puppeteers in their homes, yeah. uh, shooting those things. Like it's actually something that they can get up really quickly. Uh, the thing that's really interesting about this Fraggle Rock Rock On is it's all filmed on the puppeteers iPhone 11s. So they're all uh, wow. in their separate locations filming with the Fraggles and <laughs> then get all, it's all getting sent off and edited together. But so this is something that they can get up super quickly. So it's super timely. The Fraggles mm -hmm. are quarantining right along with us. And for anybody who grew up in the eighties, just seeing the Fraggles on the big screen is, or the, the medium screen, big screen, right. depending on how big your TV is in your home. But just seeing the Fraggles back on TV uh, as puppets is super, super exciting. So yeah. Uh, you know, Apple Plus is definitely with their with their uh, kids content, animated content, family content. It tends to age down a little bit younger compared to like what's on Netflix or Disney Plus with Clone Wars and everything else. Like they kind of have right. helpers. They have a Snoopy Peanuts show. Uh, and now Fraggle Rock Rock on kind of fits right into that kind of territory. So if you have mm -hmm. Apple Plus or if you have your free Apple Plus membership for the year with your Apple TV, definitely go check it out. It's just nice. You know, it's not there's not a lot to it. It's pretty quick, but it's just nice to see the Fraggles back there. Yeah, I, I wasn't a Fraggle person. Uh, I was more the Muppets, so that was more my thing. Fraggle, I think I just got, I kind of aged out before before the Fraggles premiered, and it just wasn't my jam. But I know that it has got a massive uh, fandom, and it keeps picking up fans every generation who go back and rediscover Fraggle Rock uh, and the songs from Fraggle Rock and the fun stories that they tell and the characters that are down there. So uh, to have them take advantage of this and kind of a surprise, I think is kind of, we've seen what Beyonce drop albums uh, and by Kanye drop an album surprise. So why not do it with our media like this? I think it's kind of brilliant to do it this way and people get totally excited and, and get back on the Apple plus train. Cause I mean, obviously Apple Plus's rollout hasn't been that strong as strong as Disney Plus's rollout. So you want to do little things that are unconventional, grab people's attention, kind of out of the box thinking. So why not do this? It makes all the sense in the world. And, you're not producing like 20 minute episodes. These are quick ones that you can consume uh, on uh, as you go about your day. What do you think, Shane? Well, yeah, I mean, and to Mike's point about the fact that the Fraggles are all uh, social distancing as well. Um, the conversations right. that I've had with my friends who have kids right now, I mean, they like they're talking about like this is this is a real challenge. I mean, yeah, getting your children to understand what's actually happening and why they can't go see their friends and why they can't go outside and why mom and dad have to be your teachers. Yeah. Um, it's really uh, the fact that they're at their, uh, the Fraggles are doing it as well. It could be a way for kids to start to kind of conceptualize what is actually happening right now. Yeah. And also talking about like Scooby being released on VOD. I mean, obviously they, they want to make some money, but also I think this is a good way 
to uh, get some goodwill from the public right. is just saying like, listen, you know, we want, we want to help out as well. We understand the situation that everyone is in and we want to help out. And the fact that they actually are filming this by themselves at their homes, I, I think it's great. I mean, I watched yeah. the first episode this morning and I was of the age when Fraggle Rock came on in like 83 or 84. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sweet. It's, it's super, super sweet. And I did a little reading up on Fraggle Rock and I didn't realize that it was intended for an international audience, how uh, mm. the Muppets and Sesame Street, it, you know, it was made for American audiences, but uh, Fraggle Rock, that was something that they, I mean, they shot most of it in like London and Toronto, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Vogel, what's, what's the lead Fraggle's name? Not red. Uh, Gobo. 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 How he's got a little bit of a Canadian accent, which I had never noticed that until this morning. I feel like I feel like Gobo has a little bit more of a Canadian accent now than he used to, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I definitely noticed it. Yeah, but you are hundred percent right that like Fraggle Rock was designed to be a show that could appeal to any kid anywhere in the world. And the reason that it kind of takes place in sort of this fantastical place as opposed to Sesame Street of the Muppet Show was exactly because of that. And a lot of the stories, when you go back and look at the old Fraggle stories, yeah. deal with cultural differences or understanding people that live different lives than you and everything else. And so even though it was just like a really fun show with lots of music and comedy and humor, there were some like bigger things there. Also, having gone to Burning Man a lot of times, Fraggle Rock is basically Burning Man. Like, let's just, mm. it, it's a it's a lot of drugs going on at Fraggle Rock, I think. Wow. Yet another reason saying. why I didn't gravitate to it as a young child. That's right. Fair <laughs> point. Or a teenager. Uh, good, but, but that's not the only thing happening on streaming services. Michael, I forgot to uh, pump this up at the beginning of the show, but certainly we see it in the thumbnail. That's not the only thing happening o- over the last few people have been going crazy about this. Boom. Star Wars, Clone Wars. Mikey, what can you say about this? I just binged all four episodes that I had missed uh, before we started doing the show. And uh, uh, talk about a thrill ride. Uh, at times it was a little like, okay, this is kind of a little kind of uh, convenient. But then when this part one that they are doing to end the season uh, kicked in, I was just like, wow, this is going back into the world of what got you into Clone Wars. So what can you say about this, Mike? Yeah, I don't want, we don't want to say too much. And I know we right. want to move on to the, to the main topic. And we had said early on when we were talking about the Bad Batch arc that we were going to mm-hmm. wait until Clone Wars was completely finished yeah. uh, to kind of discuss the entire season as a whole. But we all were so excited about particularly this past week's episode, uh, the part one of this final four-part journey, because Clone Wars kind of changed things up at the beginning in a way they never had before. They had the old school Lucasfilm logo that used to come up before the 20th Century Fox fanfare, before the Star Wars main crawl. Uh, The Clone Wars logo, which was usually yellow, was red. And instead of having like sort of that quote about uh, some kind of like philosophical idea, it just kind of said part one and went into the episode. And I think that without getting into spoilers, because we don't want to do a spoiler review, we'll save that for our big Clone Wars discussion. Mm -hmm. I think you can say that this first episode delivers on this promise that these last four episodes of Clone Wars season seven are basically going to be the Star Wars movie that a lot of us wish we had gotten at the end of last year. That, (laughs) um, That for, 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 People who are Force Awakens people, people who are Last Jedi people, I think we can all agree that Rise of Skywalker didn't fully deliver on everything Mm. that we wanted, even though it had some amazing moments. Uh, And I think that with everything they've been building up to with Clone Wars, with the way that Dave Filoni and the entire Clone Wars team have really sort of taken this era of Star Wars and brought it to life for us over all of these years and all these seasons, this final arc, they're really going all out with the animation, with the story, with the score, with the music. I mean, it opens on a battle uh, with Anakin and Obi-Wan that would have fit right in at the beginning of any live action Star Wars film. So I think just sort of seeing, you know, obviously we've talked about her a ton on the show, uh, Ahsoka Tano, obviously one of all of our favorites, but seeing her arc of Clone Wars kind of come to this point and get to the culmination of so many themes and ideas and everything, uh, just really everyone I've talked to has been beyond excited uh it's just made star wars fans go crazy and it's just the first part of four like we have three more episodes to go before we get to the finale so i think we just wanted to mention it that if you haven't been watching clone wars now is as good a time as any to catch up uh and you will definitely uh you'll definitely get to a rousing finale based on this first episode so definitely tune in definitely check out and definitely wait because a few weeks from now we're going to do an entire 
Clone Wars breakdown, spoiler yeah. review, where we talk about all of Clone Wars, not just season seven, but kind of talk about the themes throughout all six seasons of Clone Wars and what made it so strong uh, leading into this ultimate finale. Any thoughts, uh, Shannon, on whether we're going to see the turn? Are we going to see the Anakin turn? Are we going to see anything like that? On, the, I mean, because seeing the him give the well, I don't want to give right. No we don't want to spoil no too spoilers. much. Sorry, no spoilers. But are we going to see that turn possibly happen with Anakin before my, the end of the season? My guess is no. Okay, and that they will be focused on Ahsoka because yeah. the the event that you were mentioning, the films have covered it. So right. I, I don't think it's I don't think there's any reason to kind of you know re retread over you know old history. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they do, or if they don't, I mean, just the fact that we're getting to see sort of the conclusion, um, of this chapter that's, you know, I, I would say in between episodes two and three, when they came out in the theaters and oh yeah. two and oh five, that a lot of people are like, oh my God, you skipped over the best parts. Right. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're not only getting that part where it's, it's being sort of seamlessly interwoven into the bigger mm-hmm. story. Well, it seems weird, Mikey, doesn't it? The, like Ahsoka never appears in the third film, so where, do, do are they going to find a way to explain why that happens? Maybe through this interaction we saw, and I'm not giving anything away. We saw uh, in the trailer for Clone Wars the confrontation possibly between Ahsoka and Maul. Is there something that possibly happens here that could explain why we don't see her in the third movie? Uh, I mean, I'm going to say. I'm going to base what I'm going to say based on things that we've seen in the trailer. So I'm not offering up any spoilers, but I mean, I think that most fans of Clone Wars, uh, when you get to Ahsoka's arc in season six, where she leaves the Jedi, uh, that seemed like a really good explanation and ending on why she wasn't around at the end of the Clone Wars, which is everything that happens in episode three. Mm -hmm. There was still a couple questions left hanging around about, some other characters, but we knew that she showed up in Rebels. We knew that she had not been around for any of this, that she had been hiding during all those things. I do think that this arc is going to further solidify explaining exactly where she was during some of those events. Uh, Because, you know, as we've seen in the trailers for season seven, and as we've been building up to, she's kind of focused on this whole Mandalore storyline, which is going to sort of hopefully tie into things that are going on in Mandalorian season one, into season two. Uh, so I think that, yes, I think that it's been pretty well documented so far in Star Wars that Ahsoka was removed from everything that was happening and survived. We know yeah. that. Yeah. And I think this will actually just further explain it. I don't think they're going to do anything that is going to contradict that and make right. the make episode three seem weird. Okay. Maybe we'll see the shades of Rebels, right? Because, no, I guess Rebels would, occurs, what, like a few years after this. So maybe there's something, right, that could be dropped in here that could lead to Rebels uh, or laying the groundwork to Rebels. So essentially, Clone Wars looks like it's going to be this, like, self-enclosed thing that is, yes, connected to the canon, connected to the overall trilogy. But it'll be a place where you can go and think about uh, what could have been if Anakin hadn't turned uh, right. it, it, and that's a great thing for it, honestly. That kind of speaks volumes to how you can enjoy it. I mean, him swaggering into never mind, no spoilers. All right, let's move on before I, before I ruin anything. Save it, save it, save yeah, it. Me, me and my big mouth. Uh, all right, let's uh, <laughs> let's take a quick break and then we'll jump into our main topic as we battle it out. We get into the back cave, all three of us, and battle it about which uh, which is the best Batman ever, uh, either on screen, uh, or or otherwise. Uh, we'll get into it uh, right after this. And okay, and we're back. All right. uh, this was this, you know, so you guys have been really enjoying our kind of uh, larger overall evergreen topics about X revisiting X-Men uh, and the topic we did last week. That was a lot of fun uh, where, where we counted down or criticized Shannon's countdown of his 23 MCU movies, uh, which I'm sure the great, three of, great yeah. list. Great list. I mean, just spectacular, spectacular list. Uh, <laughs> hashtag, hashtag MCU. I think you're wrong. Uh, but like we we will, uh, each of us, I'm sure, uh, Mikey, you and I, I'm sure down the road, when we get motivated to, we'll create our own separate list. And then, of course, suffer the slings and arrows of the other two buddies when we reveal our lists uh, in that way down the road. But today, this was also kind of a suggestion by Shannon. What did, what did you suggest for today's main topic, brother? 
Well, we found out this past week that um, as everyone had assumed that the release date for the Batman next summer was pushed yeah. from June to October 1st, the first weekend in October, which interesting, interesting date. That's the same date that uh, Joker occupied last year. Right, right. So it got me thinking, like, again, I think people, as you have said, John, people have been enjoying sort of these these discussions that aren't necessarily directly tied to something that's happening right now. But it got me thinking, like, Batman has had such a long, uh, long history on the big screen and the small screen. Yeah. I started thinking, like, who really is, thus far, the best Batman? Um, you know, we've, we've seen campy versions. We've seen big budget versions. We've seen mm-hmm. dark and gritty versions. We've seen animated versions. Yeah. Um, there has been no shortage of great performances of the Dark Knight across his uh, many-eared history. So it got me thinking, like, who do you guys actually think is the best Batman? Uh, it's a it's a good question as we jump back onto I mean, this there's so many, as we just saw from that graphic, there's so many to choose from. And that doesn't even include Kevin Conroy's Batman. That's how many Batmans there have been since the 40s. There have been a version of the Batman with uh, interesting cowls, interesting ears uh, and costumes and what have you and fantastic performances from so many people. But uh let's talk about it a little bit more mikey what, what what's your what what do you look for mike in a batman well i think it's hard because i think that you know we can all and i think we talked about this before but i mean you you can talk about sort of classically what your idealized like perfect batman is mm. but i think that when you talk about that like i don't know <clears throat> that at least on the big screen we've ever seen everything that goes into that batman fully realized so i think yeah. you know kind of Skipping over the older, the 1940s Batman, I mean, everyone kind of laughs about Adam West, but I do think you have to give it up to that 60s Batman show, because I think one of the reasons that Batman has been so enduring is that there is a dark side to him. There is the dark, gritty Frank Miller, uh, you know, like really kind of psychological uh, issues that Batman has. Like there's that side to him. But then because of that 60s Batman, there is a fun and a lightness and the bat copter and the bat plane and the bat hairspray, like whatever you had, the bat, everything. Uh, I think that the lightness that that had balanced with the darkness is one of the reasons that Batman is the most, one of the most enduring uh, superheroes that there is, is because you have that balance. So Adam West, I think, gives a lot to Batman that he doesn't get credited for. Uh, I know that when the 19th, 1989 Batman came out uh, as we talked about with Ian McKellen playing Magneto and even Tom Holland playing Peter Parker when Michael Keaton was announced as Batman people were like that is incorrect that is not that is not and, and that I think that Batman. <laughs> I think Michael Keaton sort of has a weird balance of he was in a Tim Burton movie and Tim Burton movie it's an it's a what naturally was a darker more brooding Batman, but at the same time, particularly with his Bruce Wayne, he almost had an Adam West kind of glint to him. There was yeah. kind of a little bit of Michael Keaton, uh, that twinkle that he has in his eyes sometimes that kind of made uh, Batman sort of charmingly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I think, I don't know, do we even really need to talk about Val Kilmer or George Clooney? I mean, is there? <laughs> there are. There are they, they, had, he, they had nipples. They, they had nipples. <laughs> they each have their defenders. I'll be honest with you. There are some people who like the Kilmer Batman. Uh, there you, are there are some people who like the Clooney Batman. Uh, you know, like just there are people who like the prequels. There are people who will defend Suicide Squad. I mean, there are people who will, for whatever reason, it really works for them. I didn't mind Kilmer as Batman, to I, be honest with you. I think the film doesn't hold up, but. Uh, I yeah, but Clooney, that's a, a full on waste of talent in that. And film. and if I can jump in with John here, yeah. I mean, on paper, George Clooney should have been great. Br- should have done a four I, movie arc for yes, sure. I, mean, I will, he, he I will was grant the right you Batman in the wrong film. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, I think that both Val Kilmer and George Clooney are great ideas for people who could play Batman. I think both of them mm-hmm. have a Batman in them. I think. Just because of the Schumacher films, I don't think we got anything that kind of stacks up to any of the things that you would want Batman to be. Like, I think Adam West kind of has a goofy, fun Batman in him. And Michael Keaton has a little bit of a fun glint in his eye, but we got to that darker Batman that people Mm -hmm. really kind of were craving in a lot of ways. Uh, And then I think, um, you know, Bale, I think you really got a grounded, realistic Batman. 
Yeah. I think you really got to see, I think what Bale did better than Keaton was you really saw that Bruce Wayne was an act. Mm-hmm. Like I think Keaton was so charming as Bruce Wayne that you kind of felt like that's who he was. And then he just happened to put on a bat costume and fight crime. Christian Bale, the distinction that Nolan had with Bale where everything I do as Bruce Wayne is an act to get what I want because Batman is the real thing. Like that was very, very clear. You know, his Batman voice leaves a little bit to be desired. It's I think that's a hard thing for for most people to find that distinction between what your Bruce Wayne voice is and your Batman voice. I think maybe he went a little bit overboard with the Morales cage. Like it hurts my voice to do it. Well, and do you guys Uh, remember the Batman Begins teaser where um they 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 didn't really show i mean it was a lot of like the 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 landscapes in in iceland when they Uh were doing the sword fighting on the frozen lake but the last one of the last uh, bits that they showed was that the uh the uh carriers on on the boat the big uh, the big containers um that scene before he hooks up carmine palgoni to the to the spotlight he's upside down yeah and in the trailer when he he says the criminal says where are you and it's and it's a whisper it says here whereas in in the theatrical cut it was here um (sighs) so my wonder is is that something that they were still sort of experimenting with at that time like what is this voice going to be um and also, one more thing I wanted to add, something that we saw with Christian Bale that we hadn't seen up to that point was the real world implications of what it means to be out all night fighting criminals, Yeah, um, right. where you see the bruises on his mm-hmm. back. Like he has to come up with these excuses of like, what does a playboy do during the day when he's asleep yeah. in the dark night in that board meeting? I mean, those are all really great things that Christian Bale brought to it. And that's one of those, it, it was one of those situations where the fan casting that, that was happening, that Christian Bale was a name that got thrown out a lot. And it mm. was one that they ultimately decided on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I mean, I think in the broader sense, I think the Nolan films are great because, you know, with Adam, again, going back like Adam West, 60s Batman, you never really explained where all that stuff came from. Like there was no explanation. And even with the Tim Burton movies, <laughs> Bruce Wayne having this, bat like who built it like did he build this thing like there's never really it just it just was and it was cool and it was moody and it was amazing you know where does he get those wonderful toys i don't know jack nicholson i can't explain it and then with nolan (laughs) they really kind of came in and like they went through and said this is exactly where he ordered this thing this is why lucius Mm -hmm. fox like this part of wayne tech so i think they really grounded batman which was great but one of the things that was still missing there was the, the detective aspect of Batman. Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. that in any of these. And then there's Batfleck. Uh, why don't you guys talk about what you like so much about Ben Affleck uh, as Batman? Because I, I, I know that a lot of people really do like him. And I've mm-hmm. tried, made it clear that I'm not the biggest fan. But I think he falls to me into the same category as George Clooney and Val Kilmer. Is I think that Ben Affleck has a good Batman in him. I just don't think these movies ultimately did him right. But I know you guys like him better than me. Well, uh, there's a lot to, I mean, that was a lot that both of you just mentioned. So I want to touch on a couple things and then I'll swing back to Affleck. Um, I I think the Adam West thing is a great thing for you to bring up, uh, uh, Mike, because I know people talk about, oh, we wouldn't have Batman without Adam West. It's not 100% true. because Someone would have taken a stab at this property that had been around for numerous decades and, and seen what they could do with it. But every Batman is a reflection of where we are at the time, right? In the 60s, it was free love. It was chilling out. It was having a good time. Bubblegum pop, all that kind of stuff was going on, right? <laughs> so you have that Batman, kind of like the Bobby Darren or the Sinatra, right? They're kind of trying to figure out where to train. Now it's funny in retrospect to go look at it, but he's trying to be cool. He's trying to be hip. He's trying to do what the kids are doing sometimes in some of those episodes, but still, it's still fun to revisit those episodes and outlandish. And certainly Adam West and Burt Ward were, pretty serious in how they played these characters. Yes, they had fun throwaway lines they had to deliver, but overall they were they seemed to be legitimately concerned about these poor deluded children or poor deluded women or poor deluded men that they were trying to save throughout the series. So I enjoyed that. But then we get the Michael Keaton Batman, and this is Tim Burton, so it's a little bit darker, but still uh, somewhat fun. And the, the Joker is having a blast through the whole movie. I mean, him, and then you put Prince to the soundtrack, for God's sake. So it totally reflects where we were in the 80s this kind of age of excess right the 80s were that decade of excess so batman's going to be a little much 
and so is Joker, and all this is happening. And then eventually we get to the bail. The bail's more the grounded. Why? Because we as a society have moved on, and we've seen past that we don't want cartoon stuff. We don't want comical stuff. Uh, we want the real gritty stuff. And then we get this Christian Bale Batman, the still little bit of the voice. That kind of has an issue overall. Uh, and then we get to the Bat Affleck. And this is the thing with Affleck. And, of course, Conroy is just uh, – that's a whole other conversation. But for me, Affleck, I think, once again, reflecting where we are, we're a little more brutal of a society. Uh, we're a little more angrier. We're a little more just, – just everything is larger uh, in our worlds now. And so that's a Batman that reflects us. Uh, as much as he's a Dark Knight Returns Batman or, or connected to a Dark Knight Returns Batman, he's a Batman that reflects us. Everything is power shots and big moves and questioning saviors and things of that, things like that. So overall, I do <clears throat> like him as Batman. I do enjoy his scenes as Batman. I just think he never got uh, his proper due as Batman as the other ones have. Shan? Yeah, well, the thing with Batfleck is... From the beginning, I, I was I was not a fan of the casting because I I do think in the right role Ben Affleck is very very good. Damn After right. watching Batman versus Superman and to a much lesser extent Justice League, yeah. um, I'm like he did a fantastic job. He was not the right guy. Ben mm. Affleck has sort of an ingrained blue collarness to him. Yeah, that's a great point. That, yeah. you know, Bruce Wayne, especially in the guise of Bruce Wayne, he doesn't yeah. have. He has to be refined. Even in, like, his uh, older and, and, and world-weary days, he still has to keep up that appearance. Um, and one of the... And this has less to do with his portrayal, but more where the DC universe, cinematic universe could have gone yeah. had this caught on... Um, you know, it's a real shame that because I think that world was being set up where we could have seen some of those larger than life villains that we have not seen on screen yet, yeah. like the clay faces, like a really good interpretation of Mr. Freeze. Like, I think that's where Ben Affleck's version of Batman is where those could have gone. Yeah. Um, and let me add one more actor into the mix here, because obviously Kevin Conroy on the animated front is he is Batman. I mean, yeah. his, I mean, just across the animated series and three yeah. of the four Arkham video games. Um, Diedrich Bader oh, yeah. did a great job in Batman, the Brave and the Bold. So yeah. I think that, sh I think it was only on two seasons and it started off much lighter. I went to the first panel that they had for that at Comic-Con that year. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the writers were talking about how like, listen, we love the dark Knight too, but I can't take my seven year old <laughs> to see that. But we yeah. want, we want these younger kids to experience Batman. And I think the first season, it was, it, it aimed a lot younger. It aimed a, a little sillier. It definitely had, um, had the feeling of that Adam West, uh, Adam West Batman. But mm -hmm. then as they got into the second season, and I think they had, I don't know if they'd been told it wasn't coming back, but they kind of went for broke and they yeah. got into some more, some, some more of the serious storylines. I mean, at one point, Batman goes back in time um, sort of Gotham by Gaslight style and teams up with Sherlock Holmes. Mm. Um, some really great episodes. And Diedrich Bader, he's not Kevin Conroy, but I mean, for, for what that series was, Diedrich Bader was fantastic. Yeah, yeah and that leads me to, I, I was sort of holding Kevin Conroy in reserve because I think that, <clears throat> uh, spoiler alert, like he's the best Batman. Like that's my vote for best Batman. Like I don't think that okay. there is a better Batman than Kevin Conroy. I think that when you look at, the length of time that he has played Batman through all of the Batman, the animated series into uh, the, the further adventures of Batman and Superman into playing him to bat the older Bruce Wayne and Batman beyond playing him in justice league, playing him in justice league unlimited, playing him in the Arkham games. I think he might arguably have the longest stretch of any actor who's played Batman. Certainly. And I think Definitely. even the things that we were talking about with a, uh, you know, Bale, Batfleck, everybody trying to find that distinction between Bruce Wayne and Batman. Kevin Conroy vocally nailed that from day one. Like, mm -hmm. I know exactly what Bruce Wayne sounds like. I know what Batman sounds like. Uh, because of the way that Bruce Tim and the team at Warner Brothers Animation kind of created Batman, he was the great detective. He was the smartest one in the room. Mm -hmm. He was the one, even when he was standing with every other member of the Justice League or every other member of Justice League Unlimited, you knew Batman was the one that had his shit together more than anybody. Like, mm -hmm. I, I would be hard-pressed to, in the big scheme of things, as I was saying, I think even, I'll even say, 
God knows I never say anything nice about Batman versus Superman. But <laughs> not, and this wasn't this wasn't necessarily Ben Affleck's performance, but the idea that Batman sort of comes out of retirement and does what he does because Superman sort of laid waste to Metropolis and Wayne Enterprise, the Wayne Enterprises building there, I think was a great idea. And had that been realized in a better way, I think we would have gotten a really interesting Batman. So I think every one of the Batman on film has pros and cons to them. I think there's pluses Mm -hmm. and minuses. Kevin Conroy's Batman, the animated Batman that Warner Brothers Animation has been giving us, you know, for over a generation now, yeah. That is the quintessential Batman. Yeah. I think to me. Yeah. Um I I uh, Shannon? Yeah, I I I can't argue that. I mean, mm-hmm. um what Mike's I mean the difference in the voice between Bruce Wayne and Batman is so slight, but you can you can hear it. Bruce Wayne's a little suaver, just just mm-hmm. a little suaver and Batman's just a little more to the point. Yeah. Kevin Conroy definitely definitely had the most legroom to play with this character and because he got to interact with so many different characters throughout the DC universe, I think that's probably why he is to, I mean, I agree with Mike. I mean, he is, he is the Batman to me. Mm. I, I I had to catch up on the animated series, right? I first, I think Mikey remembers this, like Batman beyond was my way into Batman animated stuff. I do. Yeah. Yeah, and then eventually I found my way back to the animated series, and I love that they're all out now on Blu-ray, totally restored, 16 by 9, so people can enjoy them on their televisions uh, fully. Uh, that's a great thing, but I will. I don't know if I'll ever develop the affinity for Conroy that other people have because I didn't grow up and, and like kind of feel that from the bones out. I can respect it. I can totally appreciate his voiceover work. Uh, and certainly he had way better storylines and um, arcs to play in the move in the uh, animated series and in some of the animated movies and in the Arkham games through the Arkham games, as you mentioned, Shannon, certainly a lot for him to explore and kind of flesh out the Batman. So I think he, he, he wins because of the fact that he was, he was delivered better material uh, or the best material and certainly had great people around him voicing all uh, the other characters, all the other villains and and all the other com- uh, companions with Batman. So overall, you had time to sink into this guy's world and really see him play both sides, play that playboy, play the the Batman and never have to do the voice that was, you know, uh, up for ridicule in any way, shape or form. Because people still ridicule Adam West's voice, even though he's still using his voice. So, oh, uh, they'll do stuff like that or with <laughs> or with Keaton, you know, they'll do they'll do things like that or or they'll make fun of Christian Bale clearly uh, with his voice. Um, and even Affleck, you know, there's stuff that you can play with there that it's tough to bring it over to the on-screen stuff and get it right. We'll see how Pattinson's voice is. Will he join the long list of people whose voices got made fun of for doing Batman on screen? Uh, but Conroy never endures that because Conroy's voice is so perfectly calibrated for the Batman he's creating. So mm-hmm. I do agree with you guys that I think he is the best Batman overall, but I will stand for Christian Bale's Batman um, uh, on screen. And I, I think only because he has, he feels more grounded, more realistic, and he brings an element to the mm-hmm. Batman that we rarely see in any other Batman, and that is this vulnerability or fear that he isn't good enough at what he's doing. It It's prevalent throughout all three movies. Yes, because he's always getting tricked by everybody he's going up against, even in the first movie, right? Ra's al Ghul tricks him all the way up until the end in the train. Then he you know, realizes what he has to do. Uh, in the second movie, uh, the Joker tricks him into going after Aaron Eckhart instead of going after uh, right now. Rachel! Instead of Rachel, right? If this is Detective Batman, Vogel, <laughs> if this is Detective Batman, he knows Joker is trying to throw him off the scent, and he goes to the other address because he logically would go to the opposite address knowing yeah. Rachel would be there. And in the third film, Bane kicks the crap out of him the whole time until he finally gets some resolution near the end. So he's a Batman who's not necessarily in control of his world. And I kind of like that element to Batman because it's rare to see in the in the films, but and or in any other medium of Batman. Uh, but yes, I agree with you guys. I think Conroy is the best Batman overall, objectively. Uh, I think there's no bones about it. And yes, some people might push back and go, oh, it's an animated thing, so he doesn't have to do the same stuff. But I would disagree with that a thousand percent because 
the number one thing you you look for in a Batman is believability, and you know it from the voice, right? I mean, if he looked like the perfect Batman and and sounded like Korg, you wouldn't think this is a great Batman. So, oh, the voice is essential to creating <laughs> your image in your mind of what this Batman is doing. Yeah, and I don't think it's just. And to your point, and like as as anyone who works in voiceover knows, like I mean, it's not just mm. that he has the right affectation to his voice. It's not right. like it just it just oh, it sounds pretty. It's that there is an understanding of who the character is. And like yeah. we said, he's given some of the best material. He's played him for a really long time. Like, I would agree with you. I think if we were sticking to just like big screen adaptations, live action adaptations, I think Bale is the most fully realized Batman yeah, out yeah. of all the Batman that we've seen on the big screen. Uh, I, you know, I think we've talked about this with the Batman when it comes out. Yeah. I think that uh, Matt Reeves has talked a lot about wanting to make this Batman much more of the detective. That's been that's been a big part of what's been discussed. So that's as we've said in the past on the show, like I'm really excited to see a Batman that is more of the detective that Kevin yeah. Conroy's Batman is as a live action thing. So maybe that will become the new, the new ideal norm. Batman. Yeah. The, yeah. But uh, but it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, I think that you know I think as much as we say that Christopher Reeves sort of embodies Superman, or that Chris Evans or Tony Stark, uh, Chris Evans or Robert Downey Jr. kind of embodies cap and iron man yeah i think kevin conroy just as much as any of those guys embodies batman to me yeah what about you shan yeah agreed i mean i i still i, I mean I, I will always have a soft spot for michael keaton and it's a shame we didn't get more than two movies out of him yeah um yeah. because also as you guys had said earlier it was just so unexpected it was this it was this type of casting that came out of left field yeah. and everyone was so mad about it and then you you watched mr mom suddenly become the you know the dark knight i mean you want to <laughs> you watch him become a badass and you and you believed it too i mean yeah you watch batman begins you're watching christian bale training on on those poles and you just see this dude is ripped yeah you know i don't think keaton ever took a shirt off <laughs> for two movies <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but it didn't matter because just through his performance you just believed that he could do that and what yeah. will be really interesting with pattinson is if indeed the story does take place kind of the second year into batman's career we're not going to see him training like this will all have happened before yeah. you know the film starts he's just going to know how to do this stuff and my my guess and this is just me assuming um he's going to be fighting smarter not harder and yeah. Yeah. what will be really interesting is I don't know. I don't recall how old Christian Bale was when he did Batman Begins. But I mean, mm. I, I think he was maybe 32. So Pattinson is a few years younger, but he also <clears throat> looks a lot younger. So I think right. that's going to be really interesting to see as well, to see this guy who who the, the, the train has left the station in terms of his career. And he is just a few years out of being a kid. Yeah. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see as well. I I think, Shannon, to your point, another thing that's going to be really interesting about this new movie is I think that Nolan's Batman series with Bale went so, worked so hard to ground every villain. So whether yeah. it was Scarecrow or Ra's al Ghul or Joker or anyone or Bane, mm. like they, there was a, this is how this person can really exist in real life. Yeah. And that was great because we had never seen that before, but it did make it harder for us in that world to have ever have gotten a Mr. Freeze or a Clayface or mm. any of that other stuff. And I, I, you know, we don't know what the tone of this new franchise is going to be. Like, we don't know mm. how, you know, Marvel does a really good job of kind of feeling grounded, but giving us gods and aliens and talking raccoons and it feels grounded, but it's still fantastical. And it'll be interesting to see where the barometer is on this with all the different villains that are sort of promised to be in this movie and with you know with all the rumors that it's going to be kind of a long halloween-esque inspired thing that has like a whole rogues gallery yeah. that this might be a world where we can see a robert pattinson's batman fighting a live action Clayface or a live action mr freeze which could be really really exciting and not the arnold schwarzenegger version yeah i, I echo my two fellow buddy <laughs> sentiments about what we hope to see in the batman i think another thing and this is what i want to add we have never seen, and just as I was thinking about it listening to you guys, we've never seen a Batman who's actually the star of his own series, right? Even in the Michael Keaton Batman, you're talking about Jack Nicholson's Joker. You're talking about Michelle Pfeiffer and Danny DeVito more than you're talking about Keaton. In the Christian Bale, you're talking about Heath Ledger. Uh, you're talking about Bane. You're talking about, you're talking about Rosal. You're talking about more about everybody else than you are about the Batman. And hopefully uh, that will be the case uh, in, in, that will not be the case rather, in the Batman, hopefully we will have a Robert Pattinson Batman that we are focusing on his story, his journey, and other people are just side parts 
of his story. Uh, and I hope they can make that happen because I'd like to see that. We certainly saw that in the animated series, no matter how great the voiceovers were and the performances of those voiceovers for the other characters. Conroy was what you tuned in to watch for. And so hopefully the Batman will be the reason we come back. Pattinson's journey in the character. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's one of the things, again, to get to Conroy's Batman that I love is that Conroy's Batman commands a room. Yeah. And again, it, it, it is Kevin Conroy's voice. It's also the amazing directing by Bruce Tim and the, yeah. all the directors at Warner Brothers. It's also the animation. It's also everything. But the, the, there is a joy to the way that Kevin Conroy's Batman can one up any other character in the room can, you know, whether it be Amanda Waller or Lex Luthor or anybody, he sort of commands a room to the yeah. point where even though he still has an amazingly colorful rogues gallery, he still feels like the central piece of it. And in the live action versions, even though I think Bales does the best job of making Batman a central focus, you you put Heath Ledger's Joker in there and that, you know, it's all over for everybody else in the room. Yeah. Like you can't yeah. look away from that. So I do think it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Uh, yeah. It's, it's going to be exciting. Like, I mean, I, for all that we've gotten, you know, a thousand different versions of Batman and you can sort of feel like, you know, wh at what point are we going to get like Batman malaise? I'm thoroughly excited to like jump into this next chapter of the Bat universe and see what it brings yeah. us. Because like I said, I think that even the George Clooney's and the Ben Affleck's and the Val Kilmer's, to your guys' point, uh, everyone had a little spark of something that was an interesting Batman because Batman is such a... Hmm iconic character that there's lots of room for interpretation and so it'll be interesting to see what this one brings us yeah yeah i don't disagree uh, uh so that's our overall choice let's bring him back up on the screen give him some love here the overall choice is kevin conroy's batman boom there he is with mark hamill's joker of course iconic <laughs> iconic in its own way and maybe someday we'll do uh a uh is this we'll do a uh, best joker conversation as well on the geek buddies which would be Ooh. fun i mean that one's tougher that one is i mean I would likely say that if I was going to guess right now, I'd, I'd call Mark Hamill. Like I think Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy are my idealized, but wow. the Joker, the Joker debate is a lot harder to have. Yeah. There are a lot of, uh, I, I think there's a lot more strong um, arguments to be made for each Joker than there are for every Batman. I agree. I agree. And we, we will probably get to that sometime down the road here on the geek buddies, but that is it for this episode of the geek buddies. Can't thank you all so much for uh, clicking on the YouTube link for the show and watching our pretty faces, talking about all this geeky stuff or downloading the podcast episode and listening to us in your ears as we uh, do our imitations of all the multiple Batmans and talk about all the separate subjects we talked about uh, today. Shannon, what can we tell them? Yeah, like if you would like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you'd like to follow Mr. Vogel on both platforms, it's at MK2. And if you'd like to follow Mr. Roca, it's at the Roca says. Listen up, everybody. I'm going to rattle your cage. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I need you to do something for me. We're going to save Gotham City. I need you to go. I can't do it. I can't do it. I oh, I pulled it. the ripcord. Um, rip <laughs> you know what? I could I could have I could have maintained the character. I couldn't maintain the voice. I could already feel it scratchy. I was like, I thought yeah. the corona was coming on. Uh listen, here's what we need you to do. Uh if you're watching us on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe below. Leave us some comments. Let us know what your favorite Batman is. Let us know what you want us to talk about in the next few weeks. Uh, yeah. We're going to have these broader conversations. If you're listening to us on Anchor or Spotify or iTunes or wherever you're listening to us, uh, give us some ratings. Give us some comments. Uh, it helps us go up in the rankings so that more people, uh, when they search geeky things, find us. Yeah. Uh, and also retweet us tweet us uh put us up on facebook post us say hey if you're bored you're at home you want to have a geeky debate like these guys are talking about the best batman uh yeah. we just want to get the word out as much as we can because uh we really enjoy doing this we really enjoy talking with you guys we really enjoy the feedback that we get from you on youtube and on twitter and everywhere else and we want to keep the conversation going so uh yeah. help us out yeah, exactly. Uh, and what you saw there is why an animation executive should not try to do an actor's job. So thank you all so much for. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be able to, you know, you gotta know what you're doing with your throat, with your voice there, Mike. I'll teach you. Sir. Someday. I'll teach you something. 
Thank you we all. We both graduated from the same theater school, sir. Did we? Did we? Thank you all so much for uh, downloading the episode. Start talking about. Start talking about your performance in the Crucible next week. Where are them birds? Where are them birds? <laughs> uh, there's so many stories. Maybe, maybe we'll come back to uh, doing that again. Uh, Get to know your geek buddy with more interesting stories from you all. Maybe we we'll make that a separate thing for people to enjoy. Maybe a Patreon thing. Who knows down the road? Uh, anyway, thank you all so much. Like I just said, and as Michael said, please subscribe to the channel. We're trying to get above twenty thousand subscribers on the Outlaw Nation channel. Would really appreciate. It. Follow my fellow buddies. Please get their numbers up. Give them some love. They love interacting with people. I've seen them comment back to people and tweet back at people. So it's a fun conversation on Twitter. Uh, That's a blast for you to enjoy. All right. Uh, I think that's it. We'll talk to you next time on The Geek Buddies. Keep it going. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.